This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's sermon on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, preached on Invocavit, the first Sunday in the season of Lent. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House, House Postles, and I'm reading from a translation published by S.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in the year 1884, a text that is in the public domain. First, the Gospel reading, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. When Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up unto an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things I will give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Luther's Sermon We learn from this gospel how the Lord Jesus, subsequently to his baptism, was tempted in a threefold manner after having been without food forty days and forty nights in the wilderness. According to the account given of this occurrence by St. Luke, these temptations continued throughout the forty days so that he was molested by each one for several days and perhaps not in the same order in which Matthew mentions them. This gospel is exceedingly comprehensive especially when implied to the entire Christian church, which is also tried by hunger and persecution, by heresies and the kingdoms of the world, as can be plainly seen in in all her history. We will, however, at this time, not enter into such excessive consideration of the text, but simply learn from it a few practical lessons. The experience of Christ after his baptism shall teach us in the first place how every Christian, after he is baptized, is enrolled in the army fighting against the crafty devil, who makes frequent attacks and stirs up persecutions all the days of our life. If this bitter enemy does not succeed with his afflictions and temptations to overcome Christians, he seeks to hang them upon the cross and to murder them as he did Christ. This peril threatens all Christians. Nor ought we to expect anything else. If he did not spare Christ but attacked him so persistently, he will much less spare us, whom he knows to be weak and unprepared. We should therefore be ready to meet this danger when it comes and learn of Christ how to repel the enemy. This, however, can only be done through faith in God and his word. If we put on this armor and use it properly, we are secure against the devil and his attacks. But if we have it not or are ignorant of its use, we are hopelessly lost and will become a prey to our deadly enemy. Every Christian should, therefore, earnestly read the word of God and hear it preached, so that he may become well acquainted with it. 
Besides, we ought to pray incessantly to God to let his kingdom come to us and lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from all evil. We read in our gospel that Jesus was led up of the Spirit into the wilderness. That is, the Holy Ghost brought him thither. This record is made by the evangelist to caution against all self-imposed service. For Christ did not go into the desert by his own will, nor for the purpose of spending his time there in worship and in conflict with the devil, as many now attempt to do without any divine command whatever. This ought not to be done. No one should undertake to serve God in a peculiar way unless he is convinced that God has called him to do so, either by his word or by means of men who have, according to God's will, authority over us. He who does this without a proper call, as the monks and nuns do who run into convents, does not only serve God, does not only not serve God, but acts in direct opposition to his will. That Christ did not go into the wilderness of his own accord, but was led up by the Spirit, is a fact of the greatest importance and should be well remembered. We should imitate this example, and never do anything through an impulse of our own feelings, but what we do must ever be done in obedience to the word and command of God. Let us always first ascertain whether God orders us to do a thing, and when we are assured of this, then let us diligently do it and do nothing without his word. The general duties and works of love need no new command. They are already laid down in the, and ordered in the Ten Commandments. We are all enjoined of God to hear his word, to love him, to pray to him, to be obedient to our parents, to love our neighbor, to shun all lasciviousness, and to hold matrimony in high esteem. All this is God's will and institution. Therefore, no special call of the Holy Spirit to enter into matrimony, to become father or mother, is needed. Such matters have all been arranged and commanded of God. But we nowhere find a command or word of God which would demand of us to run into cloisters for the purpose of serving God, or to avoid eating meat, eggs, or butter during the Lenten season, or to sing no alleluia in that time, and therefore all such observances are no true service of God. We will now consider the temptations in their order. The first one takes place when the devil, seeing that Christ was unhungered, tells him, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. This would seem to be no severe temptation. How could it have been wrong for Christ to make bread out of stones? Did he not often perform greater miracles? True. But Christ did not comply with the will of the devil, because he knew well what the meaning of such language was. The devil did not care to have a miracle performed, but, as Christ indicates in his answer, he desired to rob the Lord of his faith and confidence in the mercy of God, and to implant into his heart the thought, God has forgotten and forsaken thee. He will not even give thee a piece of bread, and will let thee die of hunger. Hence the Lord replies, Nonsense, devil! It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. The purport of the devil's insinuation is, to make the care for daily bread the chief concern in life, to the utter neglect of the word of God. This perverseness prevails in our day, and the devil is ever busy putting it into the hearts of men such thoughts as these. If we are children of God, he cannot be offended at us. Let us therefore keep on hoarding up our treasures, and engage with our whole energy in worldly pursuits. Let us give nobody anything of what we have, but keep all for ourselves. This cannot be a miss nor a sin. God would be an unmerciful and unkind father if he would not allow us to enjoy our bread and to gather it. Such reasoning causes many a farmer and tradesman and mechanic to become miserly hypocrites. 
They continue in their voracious dealings, supposing that God will not be displeased with their conduct, since they are engaged in securing their daily bread and support. Each one excuses himself with the thought that he must provide for his wife and children, etc. The devil attempts to cover the wrong with the statement, Thou art the Son of God. He means to say, It is impossible for thee to sin or to make a mistake. The world is everywhere so disposed that it does not care for the word, if only it has bread and raiment. Hence this temptation to make the word of no account, and to urge people to strive after their bread with such avidity that everything else is forgotten, is the most common and the most successful. One must therefore be ready to withstand such temptations, and to say, Devil, thou shalt not deceive me, nor steal the word of God away from me. I would rather lose my bread and die of hunger than to be in want of the word of God. For it is better that the body, which is nourished by the bread, should perish, than that the soul should be eternally lost. The devil earnestly endeavors to prevent such determination, waylays us with his afflictions, and strenuously labors to make us forgetful of the word of God and careful only for our bellies under the specious pretense that God our Father desires us to have and to enjoy food and raiment. An effective weapon against this temptation is the knowledge of the fact, which Christ here mentions, that there are two kinds of bread. The first and best bread, which comes from heaven, is the word of God. The other and inferior is our daily bread. This grows for us on earth. If I am well supplied with the former, with the good bread of heaven, and firmly adhere to it, my daily bread shall not be wanting as long as I am in need of it. Sooner would stones turn into bread. They, however, who have discarded the heavenly food and busy themselves only for temporal supplies, when they have their fill, lie down and die. Their money and farms and goods they cannot eat, but must leave them all behind, while they would endure everlasting hunger. It should not be thus. If therefore the devil torments us with persecutions and wants, with hunger and sorrow, we should suffer patiently and fast as Christ did, because it is God's will. But never should we lose our confidence and faith in him. Then will the blessed angels come to set tables for us, as we read in the conclusion of our gospel. Thus we learn from this first temptation to esteem the word of God most highly, to believe in it, and to rely on it in times of want and adversity, when thoughts are apt to arise as if God were offended and determined to help us no more. Amid such trials we can find no consolation except in the word of God. There we have true bread and nourishment. Quote, he who eateth of this bread, that is, whoever believeth in the word, has eternal life in him. Let us never forget this. On the other hand, the food which this world gives, and after which men are so greedy, is of short duration and vanishes with death. Eternal hunger will follow if man does not, while in this world, provide himself through faith with that imperishable food, the word of God. The other temptation was this. The devil taketh him up to, a holy, to the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. That is, because thou art the Son of God, no evil can befall thee, for the angels will be sent forth to prevent it. This is a severe and spiritual temptation of faith, which is here assaulted from another direction than the one already considered. If the devil cannot produce despondency by presenting to us our sins and the wrath of God, he tries his seductive arts in making us reckless, proud, and presumptuous. The devil comes here with the challenge. If thou desirest to dispute with me from the word of God, well and good, I am ready. I will show thee a declaration from this word. Hear it. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. 
they must construct a ladder for thee, and bear thee up in their hands. Leap down, then, let us see whether thou hast confidence in this promise of God. We must regard Christ in this connection as a man who has his divinity concealed in his humanity. As he hangs upon the cross, a man in reality, full of infirmity, sorrowing and crying for help and release, we also see him here, a real man, with the infirmities attending the human nature. Hence the devil thought he could persuade Christ to tempt God by the performance of a useless miracle. For this purpose he cites the 91st Psalm as a proof of the propriety of his demand. But he omits the most important expression, in visus tuis, the Lord shall keep thee in all thy ways. The knave thought he could, with this quotation, perplex Christ and induce him to do what he was not commanded. For Christ is now in the wilderness not to perform miracles, but in a state of humiliation as a man destined to suffer. The devil, in view of this fact, proposes to seduce Christ from his path of duty to performance of an unnecessary miracle. But Christ understands the scheme and says, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. He tells him, Here are the steps and stairway wherefore it is entirely unnecessary that I should leap down. Since I can descend by means of the stairs, it would be wrong to put myself in danger without necessity and without the command of God. We must heed here this important lesson, that he who departs from the ordinary way of his calling and attempts to do something new and peculiar without having the command of God to do so, tempts God. Monks and nuns act thus when they, out of their own accord, select for themselves a peculiar mode of living, saying that Christ had ordered them to do so when he says, Leave all and follow me. Thus it would appear that they had scripture in their favor. But we see in our gospel that the devil is also versed in scriptures and thus deceives people. The great defect in his quotations is that he does not give them entire, but only so much as suits his purpose, as to the remainder he is silent and rejects it. The Anabaptists do the same thing. They quote much scripture to prove that we ought not to rely upon anything created. Baptism, they say, is a created thing, for it is water merely, therefore we dare not have faith in it or any confidence whatever. They will not believe that the grace of God is in baptism unless they can touch it with their fists. They have the scriptures, but the mischief is that they do not use them properly. If the word of God did not state distinctly, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God, it would of course be false to look for the grace of God in baptism. The word of God is explicit in this when it declares, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Faith and baptism, the word and the water, belong together and dare not be separated. This, however, these blind people cannot perceive. Christ answers the devil in regard to his quotation from Scripture. I am well aware that the angels of God will be my companions and that they will defend and protect me as long as I follow the way which God has marked out for me. When parents fulfill their duties, when manservants or maidservants perform their prescribed labors, God will defend them all from the threatening danger through his holy angels. But if they go astray, there will be no angels there to protect them. The devil can easily break their necks in any hour of the day, as the providence of God often permits, and it is just right for them too. Why did they tempt God and go upon their own self-chosen pathway? No one can understand this temptation who has not experienced it. As the first tends to desperation, so this leads to foolhardiness and to deeds which have no word or command of God in their favor. 
A Christian must endeavor to avoid these two extremes. He ought not to despair, nor should he be recklessly venturesome, but should cling under all circumstances in full confidence and faith to the word and promises of God. The holy angels will then be with us, otherwise not. The third temptation is a mere traductio humanum, excessively gross and palpable. The devil attempts to lead into idolatry by offering honor and temporal power. This temptation gains much strength from the fact that external holiness is so much admired by our reason and glitters much more enchantingly than simply obedience to the word of God. The Pope regards matrimony as unholy, also the bringing up of children and their instruction in the duties and obedience and, and in industry. While he is very much delighted and considers it most saintly and meritorious if one puts on a gray old coat and hood, if he lives differently from other people and refrains from eating meat on Friday, if he fasts and makes pilgrimages, etc. These practices throw a halo of sanctity around one's head so that kings and emperors bow before it with reverence. Such forced piety and self-made sanctity are the glory of the Pope, and he and his followers wish to be peculiar, to be like other people who would be too common for them. Therefore they greatly praise him who runs into a cloister and becomes a monk, as they say, and a special servant of God, seeking neither gold nor possessions in his absolute seclusion from the world. Such praises are bestowed upon a monkish life, although they are entirely undeserved, as everybody knows. In short, this is a most fiendish temptation. It is a false holiness, and does in no wise serve God, whom only, as Christ here says, we ought to serve. If we do not serve God alone, we certainly serve the devil, who may indeed often reward in the manner proposed by him to Christ with luxury and ease, with rich incomes and great dominion. If we desire to serve God, we must do his will as revealed in his word. If we are children, we must honor father and mother. If servants, we must be obedient and faithful to our masters. If masters or mistresses, we ought not to offend our domestics in word or deed, but should endeavor to do what is comely and promotive of piety. Thus will we serve God and not men. His word demands all of this, of us. And if the world should call this a service of masters, of parents or of children, of neighbors or of friends, it matters not. It is nevertheless a true service of God. He himself has said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The devil has taught the Pope to disregard this command and to attribute special holiness to a gray coat, to the abstinence from butter and meat, and to the eating of oil and herring during the season of Lent. God has given no such ordinances. Such things have nothing to do with true piety, just as little as a playhouse of children could be called a palace. We cannot serve God except by obedience to his word. Where this is wanting with its demands, we do that which is our own invention and oppose the will of God. Hence we cannot hope for a reward from God. He says unto us, I did not tell you to do these things. Some devil must have incited you. Let him reward you. I, the Lord, have commanded you to love and to obey your parents and superiors and to do good to your neighbors. Instead of that, you do what I have not ordained, and thus rebel against my regulations. This I will not regard as serving me. The Pope and his followers are therefore simply idolaters and servants of the devil. 
they not only despise the word, but also persecute it, while they claim to be holy on account of their observances, their hoods and tonsures, their fasting and masses, and similar arrangements. Nor will they be corrected in this. The devil has shown and promised them the kingdoms of this world, therefore they mock at us and our worship. We are regarded as beggars and outcasts, while they greatly exalt themselves and their church customs, from which they deprive much honor, wealth, and power, so that the Pope has become a mightier lord than kings and emperors. From this it is evident how the devil has taken hold of him with his temptations. We ought always to meet the devil's temptations, as Christ did, with the ready and firm response, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. That is, we should look only to the God's word for instruction, and obey it, and obeying it, we will institute no other worship than that which it teaches. Since we may at all times meet with these three temptations, we should learn from the word of God how to defend ourselves against them. We must say, see to it that the care for our daily bread does not rob us of our faith, that we do not become indifferent to our safety by a false hope of security, and finally, that neither money nor wealth may seduce us from the true worship of God, but that we may remain firm in our faith and in the fear of the Lord. May Christ our Savior, who in our behalf endured these temptations and prevailed against them, give also strength and ability through him to overcome them and to obtain eternal life. Amen. This has been Dr. Martin Luther's sermon on Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11, preached for Invocavit the first Sunday in Lent. Again, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller reading the Luther sermons. If you'd like to hear more Luther sermons, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org.